Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Yeah, could I have a number three with cheese and uh, a large coffee? Man, does this smell good. Wolfing down your lunch. <laughs> Serving up today's top sports stories with Wolf and Lou. Hey, boy. Presented by Stadium Swim at Circa Resort and Casino, Las Vegas' ultimate sports fan destination. All right, it's Wednesday. It's noon. Stuff's going on. Aaron Maloney is here with all of today's top sports stories. Wolf and down your lunch, Eric. The Phoenix Suns are gearing up to take on the Cavaliers tonight at 5 o'clock. You can hear the game over on the Arizona Sports app and ESPN 620. But it will be a tall task for the Suns tonight as they go into the matchup losing four of their last five. While the Cavs are coming off a 71-point performance from Donovan Mitchell. What do you guys think the Suns need to do to stop Donovan Mitchell tonight and beat the Cavaliers? You know, this might be one of those situations where... Would you say the over-under for Mitchell was 30 and a half? Maybe he gets his 33, but you just you shot down everybody else, right? I mean, Evan Mobley, I believe, is questionable for this one. No Darius Garland, that helps. Um, you're not going to stop Mitchell necessarily, yeah. but he he doesn't have to beat you just because he has a good game. No, exactly. What do I want to see from the Phoenix Suns in regard to Donovan Mitchell? I want to see them compete. I want to see them move their feet. I want to see them compete as a team, especially on the defensive end of the floor. I want to see a little bit of that underdog mentality that they seemingly are missing right now from what they had over the last two seasons. That underdog chip on their shoulder, dare I say chip in their heart mentality of going out and competing. The base component of any professional athlete is his competitiveness. I want to see them go out, adopt that underdog attitude, which they are, and compete especially against Donovan Mitchell. Well, and I should say Darius Garland, I believe, is officially doubtful. I've seen out. I've seen he was at shoot-around, so who knows? <laughs> but Evan Mobley's questionable, and it sounds less likely that Darius Garland plays. Cleveland's got a good team. Current owner Robert Sarver is suspended, selling the team, and even though he's barred from communicating with anyone, still in control of any trades that surpass a certain agreed-upon dollar amount, which, obviously can complicate things. So do you think this weird ownership situation is going to cost the Phoenix Suns their championship window? I don't... I have to think the NBA is, is going to figure out a better way for this to happen or, or for it to play out. Because what Aaron just said right there, that's how ridiculous it is. <laughs> Robert Sarver can't talk to anybody. But... He's got to sign off on any trade that's... Why is he still ruining things? I, exactly. Like, so do they have to... Okay. Hey, here's a trade proposal. I can't talk to you, Robert. I'm just going to slide it under your door okay. and then run away. Yeah. I can't I just say this quickly right now. When the season started, did, did anyone think, oh my goodness, Jay Crowder is going to cost us an NBA championship? I didn't hear that from anybody. No. I didn't hear that from anybody. But it's a weird situation now. What do you mean now? Well, now it's like he's not playing, but you're paying him, but you can't trade him. And then also, I mean, it's more than just Jay Crowder, really. Like, if Sarver's not going to sign off on a big deal, how are you supposed to bring in okay. a 
Bogdanovich. I was filtering this through Jay Crowder. Okay. I was filtering it through the, you know, hey, listen, we've got to be able to move Jay Crowder. And he's he's handcuffing the championship window That's here. The first domino, um, yes. You know, for me, once again, it's not about Jay Crowder. It really isn't. I, I thought this team was a a team that could compete for a championship as is. Yeah, I was with him. I mean, coming in here. Now, again, I didn't say they were going to win a championship, but certainly they could compete. One of the top four teams in the association, they could compete for a championship. And when they got off to a 16-7 and start, 23 games, everyone was like, yeah, you know, this is who we are. This is what the Suns do. They're still the best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, you know what? I... But it's become apparent they have to do something. So then, to your point, our Sanderson Ford poll question is up now at ArizonaSports.com, and it asks, should the Suns make a move for the short term and try to win a title still this year or focus more on the long term? Your choice is short term, make a big move to win now, or long term, focus on the future. Yeah, short term. yeah that's easy for me. Short term. Yeah, short term. I, I, I just want to go back and, and finish the thought in regard to Jay Crowder. Okay, you know, once again, um, I, I think they still can compete, as is when they get everybody healthy. I think they'll still be okay and be given the opportunity to compete. So I don't think it's handcuffing them. I don't, because I think they were competitors for a championship before the Jay Crowder situation became clear. Yeah, but what's tough is seeing other teams around the league get better and the Suns are not getting better. And and to answer the poll question, if you just don't do anything and you're like, oh, we'll be better next year, why? What what indicates you're going to be better next year? Like, not only are you burning through maybe the last year of Chris Paul, you're burning through a year of Devin Booker's prime, too. What's the reason? Yeah. Why would I... What long-term deal am I making that's going to get me better for the future? Does that mean I'm just a perennial four seed? Like, I'd actually like to win a title with the team instead of just being a playoff team for a while. The short term, they've got to do something. It's not about a long-term situation in any way, shape, or form for me. So 55% say short-term, 45% say long-term. Wow. That's surprising. That, that is stunning. This is not like you're trading for the for Victor Wembanyama. You're just you're going to keep the 23rd pick in the draft? Right. right. I, oh, wow. The Arizona Cardinals are gearing up for their final game of their season. So what does head coach Cliff Kingsbury want to see from the team? Yeah, just just to try and play you know, our best game at the end. I think that's what we've been building towards. You always want to play your best football at the end. And we get you know, one of the best teams, if not the best team, um, in the league right now. And, and so it'll definitely be a tall task. But um, I know our guys are excited about the challenge. And we'll cut it loose, see what happens. So this is kind of a two-parter here. What do you want to see from the Cardinals? and Cliff Kingsbury in the final game of the season? Uh, I can answer the first one easily. I want to see three sacks or two and a half sacks from J.J. Watt because the record for most sacks in your final season is 13 and he's at 11. We never got Wolf's reaction to that either. (laughs) Boy, that's pretty cool right there. Um, I want to see a bunch of dogs out of the field finishing the way that you should because you're a pro, period. The 49ers, listen, they've got much bigger fish to fry. We all understand that, but they're still playing for something. Having said that, I want to see who shows up for the Arizona Cardinals. This, to me, more than anything else. Oh, it's the last game of the season right now. What do you have inside of you? Are you a pro or are you not? 
Are you man or fish, as we used to say? What are you? I want to see who steps up and says, you know what? This has been a bad season, and I don't care. I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish, and I'm going to finish the way that I started, with the intent of going out and driving somebody to the ground. I want to see somebody who approaches this game with the aggressiveness and the tenacity and the physicality that it deserves and demands. That's what I want to see. And oh, by the way, you might want to write that number down, whoever does that in this game. Because maybe I'll bring him back. You're getting dangerously close to the Mortal Kombat finish him there in the middle of that. Um, San Francisco has everything in the world to play for, by the way. If, yes. they, if they win and the Giants beat the Eagles, who I still don't know if they're going to have Jalen Hurts, San Francisco's the number one seed and automatically just goes to the second round of the playoffs. You let Philadelphia and Minnesota fight it out. You know, you get Tampa Bay probably or Dallas. And San Francisco is not just like, oh, we'll get through this game. I would assume they're playing everybody the whole time. So finish him. Start taking numbers, man. All right, that was Wolfing Down Your Lunch. Thank you, Aaron. When we come back, what was Max Stark's reaction to the harrowing scene on Monday Night Football? We're going to ask the two-time Super Bowl champion next. He's going to join us for Maximum Football in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. He played tackle in the NFL for more than a decade. Max Starks. Max Starks. Maximum Football. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Please welcome, from the University of Florida, tackle Max Starks. All right, it is Wednesday. It is time for Maximum Football, as we have been doing and will continue to do all season long. Max Starks, two-time Super Bowl champion, is joining us right now for the next hour. Max, how's it going? I am here, guys. I am finally off of a whirlwind. I I had four bowl games and an NFL game in the last seven days. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my yeah. goodness. Your, your head has got to be swimming right now. Yeah, no, it is. Uh, it, it, it's it, it's decompressing as we speak, but um, but I ha- but you know I had a lot of good games over the last week, um, because I, I, I called the guaranteed rate bowl here at Chase Field, and then I worked um, I worked the Fiesta Bowl, but uh, but I had the orange and the citrus as well. So Man. two Phoenix ones and two Florida ones, and then wedged in a uh, Steelers Ravens in Baltimore uh, in between that in my travels. Well, and that that Steelers game went pretty well for you too. So it's a lot yeah, it, of work, but at least some good results in there. There there was some good results. I mean, you know, and I didn't, wasn't necessarily pulling for Purdue either when LSU just shellacked them uh, in that one. It was I had, I had to beat pro SEC at that moment. Uh, all right, Max, we are going to – we're going to have you for an hour. We're going to get into some of the college football stuff. we got a lot of uh, Cardinal stuff and, and just around the NFL stuff we want to get into. But, uh, you know, doing the show yesterday, every guest we had on wanted to start by talking about what happened um, on Monday Night Football. And it's a scene unlike anybody has ever seen. It, that's uh, unanimous. Everybody everybody said that on Monday and Tuesday, and, and you know, that's – that's the unfortunate reality of it. There's still not really much of an update on Tamar Hamlin today. 
Um, just your reaction as somebody that has played in this league, that knows a lot of guys in this league, that, you know, in, in so many ways your life up to this point has been football. You just rattled off your last week. You were at four bowl games and, and a NFL uh, almost playoff game between the Steelers and Ravens. Just what was your reaction on Monday night? Um, it was, it was well, I mean, outside of the shock, um, and the sadness and the anguish and you know just the 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 holding of the breath so to speak um it was something i never got saw in my lifetime mm-hmm. something i was never expecting obviously um there's only been one other case and obviously we're still waiting on demar ha- hamlin to uh to come on the other side of this but you know chuck hughes back for the detroit lions 50 years ago yeah 1971 um, yeah, 1971. So that was the only other time something of this nature had happened. And, you know, it, it it changed a lot of the protocols for the NFL because of that. So this is the first time since that event and since that moment that you've really had this disaster contingency style plan. Um, this was the moment that they, for, that, that they planned for. And... Um, it was it was one of those things that you know as you saw it in real time you you didn't really know what you had seen right you know your mind no. just didn't quite process what was happening but then every 10 to 20 seconds your mind started going deeper and deeper mm. and then when you see those bills players faces then when you see the Bengals players' faces. Those taking a knees meant something different um, than what the normal take a knee that we're conditioned to see, right? You know, we've seen teammates or we've seen players get knocked out unconscious. Yeah. We've seen guys lose their breath. We've seen guys have to get the spine board where, you know, they're, they're precautionary trying to stabilize a neck for an injury or a head injury. And... When the ambulance came out there, guys, that that's that's when it became grave. Mm-hmm. That's when that pit in your stomach just sunk all the way down through your soul. And to to then learn all of the things that was going on, because you saw that circle of guys, but you couldn't really see in the middle of what that circle was. Right. I you could see you could see tears, you could see guys crying, guys holding their faces with a towel or looking away because they just couldn't stand to see it. Um, but you know, I I applaud the NFL for not continuing with that game. Yes, I applaud Roger Goodell. The only person that could have called that game was him. He and 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 he did. What, um, Max, on that right sorry. there, I just I, that's okay. I want to interrupt you and ask you: Was that? When did you know that there's no way they're going to finish this game? Was there a moment when you, when this whole thing was going on, something that you saw or heard um, some of the announcers talking about? Was there a moment where you said, there's no way they're going to finish this game? So, you know, it's funny, Wolf. I, I normally, and I hate to say this, nothing against Troy Aikman or, or Joe Buck, but I usually watch the game on, on, uh, on silent. I just like to actually physically watch the game. I actually don't listen to the announcers. Okay. Um, and so well, what's funny is when you saw, visually. You saw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so visually, when I saw Josh Allen's eyes and him getting red, and, and those were like real tears. Yeah. 
that's when I knew this game was over with. I was like, there, there's, and then they started scanning the sidelines. You start seeing like Stephon Diggs. You start, you know, start seeing the different players. And then Joe Burrow coming over, taking a knee next to Jordan Poyer. Um, that's when I knew this game's over with. Like, like you've lost the human beings that are on that field in the yep. moment. That that and, was it for me too. Yeah, yeah. And, and if and if somebody would have said, "Hey, five minutes, wrap it up. We got to go play." I thought I think you would have seen a revolt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I because there's no way you could have played. No. I, I'm 100 percent with you on that. I think the players would have walked off the field either way, and and it really seemed like Sean McDermott and Zach Taylor were on the same page too. Where like it, it looked like they would have backed them up. I, I don't think I, <laughs> they weren't playing the game whether the NFL wanted them to keep playing it or not. No, and, and here's the thing. You know, one of the thing guys like the, the like Sean McDermott. Um, has created a different culture there in Buffalo as well. Um, when you talk to guys um, that 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 are that are there now, um, it, it's a lot tighter knit. It, it, it's a different type of bond um, that that those players have with each other, which reminds me a lot of like you know my Pittsburgh days. But Von Miller talked about it. He's like, man, when I got here, it, it was a lot different than the other places I've been. He's like. They're super close. Like Sean McDermott makes a point at the beginning of the season, everybody stand up, tell me everything I need to know about you. And everybody and they go around the room and make sure that everybody knows that. So we're talking about your parents' name, where you're from, your college, your dreams, your ambitions, your siblings, right? Your children. Like he does that purposely to make sure that these guys are one, are bonded. So that's why when you saw when I saw when I saw Josh Allen tears, that's all I needed to see, and then it was then just reaffirmed by every other subsequent guy that was that was shown, and I thought that that yeah I was like I was like you lost one team, mm. and the other team is witnessing mortality. Um, in front of their eyes, because you know, as a young guy, you know, in your twenties, you feel immortal. You know what I'm saying, Wolf? Like, totally. like when you're on that that football field, like I can go run through ten brick walls and then jump over a skyscraper, ten feet tall, no problem, bulletproof. <laughs> exactly. And so yeah, that that moment, you're watching a player get chest compressions for ten minutes, yeah, and CPR being administered, your own mortality comes into question. That mindset that you had is gone. It's washed away. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that what that helped, you know, that that was that was running through my mind was okay, now people see football players as humans. Not that you don't, I'm sure a lot of people do, but I feel like people tend to get lost in the moment because you have fantasy. You have sports gambling with it. Now it's why didn't he make that catch? Da, 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 da. You know, it, it it becomes a more robotic response, and you kind of lose a little bit of the humanity within it at moments. But this puts it all in perspective. Yeah, this man. lets people see that, that hey, these guys these guys are, are real. You know, and once again, I don't want to be insensitive in any way, shape, or form. We all know DeMar is still in critical condition, um, although we're told that he is getting better. He has made improvement. He's still in critical condition, and that means we're her, our prayers are with him, of course. Um, having said that, 
it's the business of the sport, the business of the league. What do you do about this game? Oh, it's done. <laughs> what do you mean? Like you just you, you declare you a tie? Play. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna have to figure out some way of declaring this a tie. This game cannot be played under these circumstances, um, just because. It's too raw. It's too fresh. And like you said, with not knowing the status of DeMar Hamlin, that's going to be at the front of everybody's mind, Wolf. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It would would be – it would almost – I would hate to say this. It would be cruel to make those players play this with the – you know, especially not knowing what DeMar – because you have to remember, he's he's still – he's had improvement – but he's still sedated and still on a, on a ventilator, you know, and that's what makes that so tough um, because you know it's it's better, but better isn't always good, and so it, not knowing those signs. I mean, I think about the fact that they're going to have to play those week eighteen games, right, and try and try and make that decision alone for them to go get up for the Bills. Um, for the Patriots, and then of course for the Bengals playing the Ravens, that's going to be tough enough as it is. But to redo that thing and that cycle be in their mind, it's going to be tough. All right, uh, Texas, your thoughts? The Fanduel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. When we come back, what is the future of Cliff Kingsbury with the Cardinals, and when will we know an answer definitively? Maximum Football continues with Max Starts on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. With Wolf and Luke, brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. All right, Maximum Football continues right now. It's Wolf and Luke. Max Starks is joining us as he does every Wednesday. A couple notes on the Cardinals. David Blau starts the finale against the 49ers. The cow offense. David Blau rhymes with cow. I love it, man. That's and plow, and now, and bow. That's right. Well done. Blau, blau. Blau, blau. I mean, his name sounds like onomatopoeia, too. You know? See? If I, I, if blau. I like it. If, if <laughs> this whole time, if we just knew we had to just get blah, a quarterback whose name rhymes with cow, so Max would make that sound. And pow. And pow. Don't forget that. Of course, yeah. Um, pow, pow. I don't remember where I was going after this. Uh, <laughs> I know. I threw you off. <laughs> you think right. I'd be used to it with you, Max. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and no DeAndre Hopkins this weekend, either. He's uh, mm. out against San Francisco. That doesn't rhyme with mm. blow or cow or pow, though. Uh, all right, so... The question's going to come up. I mean, it's been coming up. It's Some Cardinals fans have had it since week one. Some have had it since last year, although the ones from last year I don't understand because the team made the playoffs. But uh, Cliff Kingsbury's future, obviously, up in the air. I think most coaches that haven't made the playoffs and like didn't just get hired have to at least wonder a little bit at this time of year. The Cardinals are either going to be 4-13 and 13 or 5-12. and 12. So, Max... As far as what happens on Monday, I guess the question really is, when are we going to have a definitive answer? You know what I mean? Like if they don't, if they don't move on from Cliff Kingsbury yeah. on Monday, Monday, do they go tell him? And by the way, this means you're back next year, or could they still be debating for a week? I, I would expect that 
the contingencies would normally be in place by now, but obviously a unique situation. Obviously, with Steve Kime being gone as well, um, and Adrian Wilson and, Qu- and and Quentin Harris being the uh, de facto GM combo, um, things might be a little bit different. But you know, usually your decisions made. You know, at, at this point, um, if you have to go back and forth on it, then. You know, it's probably it's just like saying, well, we got two quarterbacks um, competing for a starting job means you have no quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) if you say that we don't have a decision on Monday, then to belabor the point is going to simply water it down. And you might as well just stick with Cliff if, if you haven't made that decision by now. What do you think, Cliff, if in fact they do bring him back, what do you think is one of the things he needs to change going forward, in your opinion, Max? Getting OC. Yeah. Yeah. That, in other that, words, that, you need that, separation. Yeah, you need separation from from the actual players as a person influencing the decisions. Um, you need to be the ultimate overarching decision maker in these situations moving forward. You can't be the offensive coordinator and the head coach. You just you've proven that you can't handle both jobs, right? And and the job that you've done has just been kind of indicative of the track that it's been. Um, so you, in order for him, if he if if it is saving his job, I would imagine that would be the first thing on the list is that you must you must have that intermediary in the OC. Somebody who's not as connected with the guys and with Kyler, you've got to go get that objective middle person, the arbitrator, so to speak, the mediator, and and it can't be you. Um, and and some of the processes will have to change internally, along with that happening with the OC. Yes, he has to take principles of your system. Um, and keep them as is because you are the head coach, so your philosophy and your ethos needs to stay there. But there has to be a different voice. There has to be a different face, and there has to be a different person as a play caller. I have to think with, with how definitively you answered that question, how that's a conclusion I think most of us are, are coming to. If they keep him around, that's going to happen, right? You can't just bring him back and be like, ah, we're just going to try everything the same way again. I have to think if they bring Cliff back, there is a new, uh, there's a, an offensive coordinator. And then I guess the question is, Max, do you go outside the team to bring a new one in, or can you promote from within on that? Well, I think that'll be the question. You know, it, it, it's something that they've been observing it internally for the last couple of years. So, if there is a candidate that they could spot, I'm sure that that will be vetted. But I would think you have to go outside the building, bring in just a brand new, fresh face, one that has to get to know these guys, and these guys got to get to know them. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That would be the best course of action, just because you've seen the other faces so much, right? And there's already these idiosyncrasies and and and, and certain levels that you have to go through. Whereas a new guy comes in. I don't know up from down. Listen, this is how we're going to do it. I need to know what you're thinking, what you're thinking, what you're thinking, and what you're thinking. Go. Let's go from here, and let and let, let's build something together. I think you have to kind of have that freshness because the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again with the same result, yeah. right? And you have to break that cycle. You have to break that chain. 
Yeah, you know, for me, too, I think he also needs to run more physical schemes. I think he needs to do this. Uh, Much like the offense we're starting to see right now with David Blau. I don't know if you noticed it at all, Max, or had an opportunity to watch the Cardinals play. But, man, I loved it, man. They put David Blau under center. They moved him in the gun. They put him in the pistol. They used a lot of 12 personnel as well. They went with some power schemes. Um, You know, and it worked. And the offense um, was better. Let's put it that way. It, it it wasn't on fire, of course. It only scored, what, 19 points in the game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, anyone who watched that, you could see they put together some really nice drives with a guy that really hasn't played significantly in a couple of years. He practiced on Friday. That was it. That was his... his um, preparation for this game and man i would love to see it again and i think we are going to see it again in this final game but yeah i think you need to run a more balanced approach overall and run more physical schemes that's just me no i i think i think you're on the right page wolf i think it it does because your your division dictates such you know what I'm saying? Like, it's different if your division was like all this spread and everybody passing the ball a million places. I mean, look at who's leading the division: San Francisco, right? Yeah. That that that's power. That's physicality. That that's that's using the old fullback and company. Um, Seattle. Seattle was a very similar type of team where they, they rely more on the run game and then just efficient passing. You know, obviously we'll see whatever the Rams are going to come out to be in the future um but but your division dictates the guys who've won this division consistently over the last six to seven years it's 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 been that type of way so you have to conform to that um spreading everybody out trying to do these quick horizontal passing game doesn't work um yeah you can have some some jet sweep elements and some of the short passing game that that's a nice change up but the meat and potatoes needs to be going forward using bodies defending the run and executing the run I, I think that's how it's been max i i think this is the way that it was going listen i i do believe that four years ago the pendulum was swinging towards Hey, here we go. The college offense is going to take over the National Football League. That's going to happen. The same the same thing we see at the college level is going to happen to the National Football League. And now I think the pendulum is swinging back that it's more about the blending of the two, the old and the new, blending it together offensively as opposed to saying that it's just going to be the spread and it's going to take over. I think that's the future of the NFL. Well, I mean, you have to have it, right? Because that's that's the talent that you're bringing in, that's what they're accustomed to. The faster you can get guys inundated into the pro-style offense, you've got to add those elements for ease of for ease of transition. So you got to have those elements in it because that's that's the guys we're getting now. You know, you're no longer getting guys that maybe had 30 balls a season. You're getting guys that have high volume, 60, 70, some some cases up to 100 catches uh, in a season, and that's the quick passing game. They're not all you know seven step drop streak routes. You know what I'm saying? Like 
These guys are running the short three-step now routes, one-step slants, you know, shallow crossers, you know, quick rubs. Like, they're doing all of these different elements in college now where they didn't do that years ago. So now you you have to have those elements, but the base principles still stand the same. The teams that are good consistently have that physical element to them. Um, when you're looking at, Hey, how are we going to run the football? Well, you look at, you know, and not to not to kind of point it out as negative, but the way Buffalo runs with with Josh Allen, it's physical, it's counter, it's quarterback design, draws in between the tackles. Bengals, same way, Joe Mixon is running in between the tackles, inside zone, you know, gap scheme, pin and pulls. Like, that's just... You have to have that element if you're going to be successful in the NFL. All right, when we come back. National championship is set. So does TCU have a real shot at beating Georgia? We're going to ask the two-time Super Bowl champion, Max Starks, who was at the Fiesta Bowl next. And also an update on uh, Kyler Murray for the start of next season. That's uh, coming up. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports. Max Starks. Max Starks. Maximum football. With Wolf and Luke. Brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get more money selling your home. Go to higherprice.com. That's higherprice.com. Yeah, I want to get into college football because we had the two playoff games were actually amazing this past weekend, and that's not usually the case. But I want to throw this out there first. Cliff Kingsbury has his media availability today. He said Kyler Murray's surgery went well. That was yesterday. Wow. Also said Kyler Murray probably won't be ready to start the 2023 season, which I don't think is a shock to anybody. I think we're all kind of operating that way. That And, and the bigger question is, does that mean he's going to miss the first two weeks, or does that mean he's going to miss eight weeks? And there's no way to know that now. But just when you get that out there, that uh, Cliff and the Cardinals are you know acknowledging that Kyler Murray probably not ready to start next season. Now, to the, uh, the the national championship that will be played next Monday and the two games that we saw on Saturday with Michigan-TCU just going back and forth and then Georgia-Ohio State, the second game might have actually even been better in terms of just good football. Max, um, you were at the Fiesta Bowl, right? What was your impression of that just insanity? Because TCU was fairly heavy underdogs going into that game. It, TCU brought the hammer. Uh, um they said, oh, we, we, we can't run with Michigan? Oh, they're too big and, and strong and Stunned. physical and we're too weak? Oh, okay. All right. Hold my beer. <laughs> uh, and they went and literally did what, what Michigan wanted to do. It, it was almost like, you remember the water boy? Remember when uh, yes. Coach Klein <laughs> lost, his, lost his playbook? And the coach across from him was like looking in the playbook like he was reading all the plays. I felt like that that's what Sonny Dykes did to Jim Harbaugh, right? <laughs> he just said, Oh, oh, they're running this one. All right, guys, here, go do this play. And it was just it, I felt like Michigan got away from who they were. They they got too cute, they got too fancy running the Philly special on that on that first set of fur, of uh of, of four downs and Inside the red zone on the two yard line, and then it just it just kind of avalanched after that. Um, TCU is a team that has been in this situation all too often this season. People have counted them out week after week. They went through a month straight stretch in October, guys, where they literally went through 
a top 25 list of, of teams. And they came back and, like in every game, it felt like. Yeah. And, and so, so no matter if Michigan would have taken a lead or gotten up at any point, they never would have been able to really snuff them out until time expired. And and once they got the and once TCU actually got the lead, that was something that Michigan had not experienced this season. They had never been down fourteen points. Yeah. Heck, they hadn't even given up more than six points in a second half on average all year to yeah. teams. And they had thirty eight hung on them. <laughs> it in was the incredible. Half. It was on it, it was on the line yeah. of scrimmage, right? I mean that to me yeah, is where everybody said Michigan is going to kill TCU on the line oh, of scrimmage. Yeah. Especially yes. offensively. That's where they were going to dominate. That to me, when Michigan could not get their running game going in between the tackles, that to me said, uh oh. Yeah. D Winters, um, defense. And, and, and here's the other thing we heard all week, Wolf, and, and I hosted the Fiesta Bowl Media Day live. Um, and and they talked about, oh, you know, they were asking Sonny Dykes, well, are you going to change your defense? You know, you guys run a 3-3-5 defense, which means three down linemen, three linebackers on the second level, and then five DBs. Are you going to change to a four down line? Because, you know, Michigan loves to run 12 personnel, and they have big guys. He said, eh, we'll make some adjustments, but it got us here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and they went out there and they ran the 3-3-5, Wolf. Yes. And the only thing they did was a little overshift to c- create an overhang with one of those third backers. And it still wasn't quite – it was almost like a 3-4 when there's a slot so that, so that, that other overhang guy is kind of off the ball but a little bit wider. That was it. He didn't put his hand in the ground. And, you know, he's like, hey, if we got to go in the goal line, we'll go in the goal line. They didn't need to go in the goal line. And their guys were faster than Michigan's guys. And the one matchup that was the beef eater matchup of this night was the guy from Michigan, Mozzie Smith, right? The big game wrecking defensive tackle. He was going, he was going to be eating up this smaller TCU offensive line. Steve yeah. Avila, their left guard. Yeah. Put a clinic, put a <laughs> clinic on Mozzie Smith. And, I mean, I've never seen this dude go backwards all season. And I've watched a number of Michigan games. Steve Avila was forklifting him and displacing him. And that's why Anthony DiMarcato, the running back for TCU, was having his way. Now, Kendra Miller would have been that guy, but Kendra Miller got injured. He got his knee twisted up in the first half and wasn't able to come back. They tried to get him in, but he, he couldn't. That was their powerhouse back. He had thirteen over 1,300 yards rushing this season and has scored a touchdown in 15 straight games. Like He was tied with LaDainian Tomlinson. Like, this was supposed to be his night to break that record. Um, but that didn't happen. But Anthony DiMarcato stepped in and said, hey, hey, I, I honestly, I'll take his reps. I'll take his reps. And, and he got paid off for it. I honestly believe that coming into this game right here, the Michigan Wolverines believe we're going to, we're going to, we're just going to boat race these guys. We're, yeah. we're going to truck them. But Max is right. Like TCU, and I'm not saying this to diminish Michigan's season. Michigan absolutely should have been there. They were undefeated. But to Max's point of like, when the game got a little sideways, Michigan played two ranked teams all year. TCU was playing ranked teams every single week. That's why it was interesting to me that people looked at TCU like, oh, they have no chance. TCU's played tough teams all year. Now, (laughs) the next step, though, Max, is they're going to play Georgia. And 
as much as I thought they had a good chance against Michigan, Georgia's obviously a different animal. I want to ask you about their chances in that game in your mind, and also since you saw him up close, it's not somebody the Cardinals can draft. They can't They can't be drafting a receiver with the fifth or sixth pick. But Quentin Johnston has been just a beast all year, and he was a machine in that game too. Ugh, I mean, Quentin Johnston, um, and he looks the part. I interviewed him after the game. Uh, he, he, he is... He's like, just think of a slim Demarius Thomas. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's six foot four. He, I mean, he's a daddy long legs. I mean, long arms, long legs. But the thing is, people get, I think people get enamored with his height because they're like, oh, he's six foot four, possession receiver, right? DK Metcalf. No, 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 no. This dude can absolutely flat out fly. And that's what Michigan also got caught flat footed on a number of routes where Quentin Johnson just absolutely blew the top off the coverage. Um, you know, in the Big 12 championship game, I had that game and watched him play. He had four catches for 139 yards. <laughs> and this game, he had a lot more catches, right? <laughs> and had, 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 had about 163 yards, I believe, he finished with. In this game, he was the MVP of the Fiesta Bowl. Um, but he's a guy, he's so long and so fast you don't really have the right guys, you know. I think like a Sauce Gardner would probably be the comp that would be able to go up against him because I think he matches him physical traits wise. Okay, but Michigan tried to bracket him. Michigan tried manning him. Then they dropped into zone coverage and they, they didn't have an answer. And you know the connection that him and Max Duggan have is just you know it's mm-hmm. just one of those things. It's it's like Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Yes. Um, and yeah, Quentin Johnston, he will be the. I I, I find it hard. I know in, in Jigba for um, for Ohio State's also one of the guys they're considering. Oh, because of last year, but he's been injured most he of this got year. To play, yeah, he has not gotten to play. And I would say I would take Quentin Johnston first and foremost um, at, at the wide receiver position. I agree, he's going to be a top five. He'll be a top five pick for a team that does not need a quarterback. So Max, we got about a minute left here. Um, obviously, who do you think is going to win the championship game? Do you want my SEC biased heart talking, yes. or do you want my unbiased heart? No, talking? I, want, I want your opinion. I want your opinion yeah. on this. You know, I I think Georgia got their scare again um, against Ohio State. I I think as much as I love TCU and I love Max Duggan, don't get me wrong, I love Max Duggan. I think I think Georgia pulls it out in the end, but I think TCU is going to give them a fight, just like they gave Michigan a fight. And Georgia will be more pre- prepared, well prepared because they saw that and they were just in a dog fight. But it's going to be a fight, and I think I think Georgia though ultimately overcomes it because I think they they just have the better personnel and the more depth. Yeah, I just like the fact that we had two really good playoff games, and we are set up now to have a really good national championship game as well. All right, Max going to stick around one more segment. When we come back. What must the Cardinals rebuild on their roster this season? Maximum football continues next on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.